Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Reason of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son Shearjashub and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Reason of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabiel as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria, and Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Remaliah. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So we continue on this little um, theme of fear uh, and the encouragement is fear not. And we'll come to that a little bit later. But Christmas, the cards have started to come already into our house. And thank you for those who send cards. I, I love Christmas cards, but I, I don't send Christmas cards much. Although yesterday I was out with a couple of friends and I did buy a pack. They're still sitting there. I've got the best of intention to fill those cards out and send them to family members who always send me a Christmas card. Um, but I do like getting them. And the two most popular Christmas uh, scripture verses for Christmas cards. Can I get the, the slide up, guys? Can you put that first one up? Let me just see if this is working for me. It doesn't seem the gremlins are up yet. Here's the, the two most popular Christmas uh, verses that will be in cards, religious cards, obviously. Um, Isaiah 7, 14, which uh, Katrina just read out to us, the Lord himself will give you a sign, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and you will call him, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, El being the name for God, and uh, M is with, and Anu, us, so God with us, with us God. 
So that's Emmanuel. And we, we knew what that meant. We've heard that more often than not. And then the second verse, which is up there, is the most popular verses to be in Christmas cards, is Luke, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, yep, God with us. And this quote coming from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which again, uh, Katrina read out that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's born of a virgin, his mother supernaturally impregnated by the Holy Spirit, um, his ancestor being David, he was the house of David, King David of, of Israel. All of this prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born, meaning it was meant to be a sign. So we're all not even vaguely uh, aware of this. All of us know this. We've, we've often sat in church services, worship gatherings at this time, and we expect a Christmas theme, so a lot of this stuff we know already. But do you know why this prophecy was given? That's what I want to explore this morning, to which Katrina has just read out. We know these verses. We know Isaiah 7.14. It might be one that you've memorized already. We sing about it all the time. But what is the background to it? Where did it all come from? And it's that I want to get into this morning. I want to uncover a little bit of the historical background to Isaiah chapter 7. So are you with me? Ready for that? You need to keep your Bibles open. And I, like Katrina, decided to go for the New Living Translation. I got a big preacher's Bible this morning. So I will be referring to a few verses in that. So the first thing, simple words I'm going to give you. Oh, come on, doofer. There you are. Assyria. Okay. Don't worry, all of those little uh, words or numbers, etc., cryptic that they may be, will become familiar to us. So all of what happened in Isaiah chapter 7 happened in that day of 734 BC. Assyria was a superpower. Assyria was like modern-day United States of America. In that area of the known world, they ruled um, strongly. They were um, powerful, and they, they ruled with power. And nations, uh, countries around about them, would pay tribute to them. And the tribute, the idea of what the tribute was for was quite plain and simple. We give you this money, leave us in peace. We acknowledge that you have the military power, the nous, whatever it may be, to come and to smite us from the earth. Therefore, we give you these gold, these silver, these whatever, slaves even. We give all of this tribute every single year to you so that um, you'll just stay away from us. Gremlins are about this morning. See if you go to that radiator and turn that. Turn the radiator dial. Ah. Turn a few dials. The sound. Oh, thank you, Roy. Take a bow. Thank you. Um, now, the heating. It's fine. Not today, Satan. Simple as that. Um, where was I? So, we give you this so that you leave us in peace. Because uh, the Assyrians ruled with great might. And they were cruel. Uh, we often associate crucifixion with the Romans. And we know the Romans used it and then eventually banned it 
couple hundred years or so after Jesus because they deemed it to be so cruel. But up until this point, the Assyrians would impale people. Now, we're not just talking about the odd person impaled on a, a, a tree. They would take down, and this is historically documented, they would take down forests, whole swathes of countryside, um, shape them into poles. They would take men, women, and children, and they would impale them on these poles and stick them up for all to see. So suppose a small kingdom says, we're not paying tribute. Assyria says, okay. And they came along and they took that kingdom, that people group, that city, took all the inhabitants and impaled them on sticks, on huge logs. And obviously it goes up through the bottom and sometimes come through the neck, through the mouth, through the back of the neck. It was gruesome. It was brutal. They would take babies and they would dash the babies on rocks and all sorts of things to show not only did they rule with power, they ruled psychologically because they wanted everyone to see if you mess with us, this is what happened. But here's the thing. What happens when a body, someone is dead and they're impaled on a pole, time means that they slip down to the bottom. Yes, there may be guts and gore and all of that sort of stuff, and use your imagination. And this is the reality behind Isaiah chapter 7. So therefore, they decided they wanted to hold people up there longer. And it is believed that they therefore put a bar at the cross of the, the pole so that the people would have to stay up there a lot longer than, they, than, than just being stuck and sliding down. So they were cruel. And they would use this, can you imagine, um, uh, you know, visit, simple as this, visiting a family member that you've not seen for ages. There's no communication, obviously. And you go there and you just see their village of their city surrounded with crucifixes or surrounded with bodies at the bottom of poles because they've been impaled. Because for whatever reason it was, their leaders said we're not paying tribute to Assyria. So they ruled with fear. And this is the Assyrians. That's the first thing around about this historical story behind Isaiah chapter 7. Ah, we need to do something with this. Can I just get you when I say next slide, you do the slide? Ian, when I say next slide, can you just do it? That'll see if you make sure you're staying with me and you're not sleeping up there. So we're on bloodline. Bloodline. Okay. But around about the year 734 BC, Israel and Syria decided to form an anti-Syrian pact. Now, modern day geography, Israel, right? Israel, above Israel, Syria. Right? And then to the, I always have to do a bit of this, then to the east, you have Iraq. And so Assyria is modern day Iraq. So when you had Jonah and the whale go to the Ninevites and tell them that they must repent, they're a cruel people, he was being sent to the Assyrians. And you know Jonah's story, I'm not going there. One, I know that God will forgive and they, they shouldn't get forgiveness because they are a cruel people. And yet, God is compassionate even to the Assyrians. Repent, turn, change your ways, and you will have life. So you have, you have Israel, Syria, Iraq. You have got Judah. This is another wee bit of historical fact. Let me get all this out here. So Israel, in the time of David, was Israel. After David, there was a division in the kingdom, after uh, Solomon. And you had the ten tribes 
of the north that broke away from the two tribes in the south. And the two tribes in the south were called Judah, and the ten tribes in the north were called Israel, sometimes called Ephraim. So what you have here is Israel above Judah joining up with Syria to form an anti-Assyrian uh, pact and saying to Judah in the south, join us. Join us because we are fed up paying this tribute to Assyria. Yes, they're cruel. But if we get enough people, enough armies, enough power, then we can say no and, and, and be away with them and keep all our wealth to ourselves. Now Judah, Ahaz, the king, who wasn't a great king by the way, but in the south, Ahaz said, no, I'm not doing that. I fear the Assyrians. I've seen what they do with the impaling people and this new thing possibly called crucifixion. I, I'm not going to do that. And so um, they refused to join this anti-Assyrian pact with Israel and Syria. And they refused to go to war. And we read that in verse 5. Yes, the kings of Aram and Israel are coming against you. They are saying we will invade Judah and throw its people into panic. Then we will fight our way into Jerusalem and install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. Tabil was the commander of Syria, I think it was. And uh, that, it was his son they were going to put as the, the sort of king over Judah. And so they trembled. They were going to remove not just Ahaz, but they were going to remove the family line. Now, we've all seen documentary after documentary with David Attenborough, where you see a lion pride. And there's the old lion who's ruled this pride for donkey years, or lion years even. <laughs> and, uh, and, but he's getting too old. And there's some young bucks, some young uh, male lions, whatever you call them, and they try and take over the pride. And the young lion is stronger than the old lion and either kills the old lion or chases him away banished only to die later from his wounds. And what does this new lion, the head of the pride, do? He goes about and he finds all the young lion cubs that were in the line of this old lion. He goes about and you think, it's horrible, but you see it, and he takes the, the young uh, lion cubs in his mouth, and he kills them all. And some of the lionesses try and protect their cubs. But it's important for the safety or for the health of that pride that all of those young cubs are killed by the new uh, head of the pride. So we've seen that all the time. And this is what is happening here in Isaiah 7 in the year 734 B.C., we're going to come and we're going to remove you. The bloodline is going to stop and a new dynasty is going to start. So it's happening here in Isaiah chapter 7. And this has got direct consequences to Ahaz's sons. So if it was me, to Joshua, Dylan and Eden. No, even. Look at. <laughs> Sorry, channel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay for that one, no doubt. Um, we're going to remove the house, which means as they came in the bloodline of David, King David, Israel and Syria 
were saying, we're coming to defeat Judah, to start a new dynasty, and the bloodline of David will stop. That is what is being promised or threatened here. Are you with me here? Bloodline is so important in this story. To understand these Christmas card verses that we read happily all the time. Next slide, please. Don't be afraid. Um, the king and his people are trembling with fear. A better translation of people should be his relatives. Because not only was Ahaz's head on the block, but so was all of his sons, all of his brothers, all of his nephews, uncles, anyone, cousins, whatever age, anyone that survived could, in years to come, gather a band of warriors and lay claim to the throne and the nation would be unsettled. So it was important that all males would be destroyed completely. That's why they shook with fear. They trembled with fear. But it wasn't just the people. It was all of the relatives. And the word from the Lord through Isaiah was, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, they've been burnt out already. They're defeated, they're smoldering, they're past their best, they're not giving out much, don't be afraid of them. They planned, Israel and Syria planned a regime change. Everyone was terrified, but God sent Isaiah to say, don't be afraid. Much like when God sent angels, Mary and Joseph and others, and the shepherds, do not be afraid. They were mad at Judah. Their anti-Assyrian pact was stalling. And quite possibly, Assyria would hear about their anti-Assyrian pact and would come and bring all of that fear and trembling to Israel and to Syria. We are mad at you, Ahaz, and we are going to do this to you. We are stronger than you. We're ten tribes, you're two. We're another nation. We've got other people round about us who would love to see you destroyed and taken out. And with human eyes, they could have been terrified. But God, who is compassionate, through Isaiah, said, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Because these two are only smoldering stubs of firewood. Next slide, please. They were not a forest fire, Syria and Israel just smoldering stubs of firewood, because God had already decided what he was going to do to them. Verse 5, Yes, the kings of Aram and Israel are coming against you. They're saying, we'll invade Judah and throw its people into panic. They will fight. We will fight our way into Jerusalem and install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. wonder who you're going to listen to. Your eyes or to God? Sometimes our eyes deceive where does the eyes of faith cause our hearts to settle? But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. 
This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You may come up against all sorts of things. You may tremble and fear, but you will not be overcome because you are in Christ. Your health, your mind, your finances, your family, your prospects, they may all be on a sugarly nail, but if you're in me, you're secure. Be careful. Do not lose heart. Don't be afraid. Everything you see about you is temporal. My ways are eternal. And when did Isaiah prophesy this? The year 734 BC. As for Israel, within 65 years, verse 8, within 65 years it will be crushed and completely destroyed. There's a short-term prophecy. Two years later, in the year 732 BC, maybe they heard about this anti-Assyrian alliance. But Assyria came and they conquered Israel. You can find that in 2 Kings chapter 15. And, the, and 10 years after that, in the year 722 BC, Assyria completely destroys Israel. You find that in 2 Kings 17. And then 47 years later, in the year 669 BC, Assyria removed all ethnic reference to Israel. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 4. And if you, and I find it difficult, but if you do the maths, you will find out that from the year 734 BC to 669 BC is 65 years. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 8 says this, As for Israel, within 65 years it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Can I get more specific than that? Can I get more bang on the dot than that? The Lord's words through the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled this part is fulfilled 65 years later. It wasn't like something you get in the Daily Record in the Sun or something like that where you get Mystic Meg saying all these wishy-washy, airy-fairy nonsense things. Within 65 years, all that you can see that is powerful, that is surrounding you, who are too strong for you, who are saying they're going to crush your bloodline and stop the, 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 the promise that is to come through David, all that you see before your eyes will not be because I have said it is going to be that way. Who says that? The sovereign God. And it came to pass. And this was the fulfillment of this short-term prophecy God gave through the prophet Isaiah. Next slide, please. And here we come to the sign. Ahaz was terrified, obviously. Israel's not been crushed yet. He's still in the midst of his enemies surrounding him. He's in the midst of this threat of his bloodline, the house of David, ceasing because of his strong neighbors to his north. But God had promised David that one of his descendants would rule over God's kingdom on this earth for all eternity. So if Israel and Syria, with their anti-Assyrian pact, got their own way, then not only would Ahaz's relatives head beyond the chopping block, 
then the promise of the Messiah would not be fulfilled. Because the Messiah comes through the, the line of David. It's the promise that God gave to David. David wanted to build the temple and God says, no, you get blood in your hands. You can make plans for it, but leave that up to your son Solomon. But here is what will happen. And we know, this is a paraphrase of it, but God says, but one of your children, one of your sons, one of your heirs will sit on my throne on this earth for all eternity in the kingdom. That was a promise God gave to David, whose heart was for God, a man after God's own heart, but yet he had blood in his hands. And it was that promise here in 734 BC that was under threat. And the, they must have known it. They must have realized that, God, what are you going to do about that? You've given me these promises, but I just don't see it being fulfilled. God says, keep calm, don't worry, do not lose heart. I am with you. And God says through Isaiah, ask for a sign, any sign. It could be something in the heavens, maybe turn the, the sun dark for an hour or two or make the sun go back an hour or two or it can be in the earth. Do you want the, the dead to rise from the grave? Do you want earthquakes or, or whatever it may be? Say anything in the heavens and the earth and I'll show you a sign. But Ahaz, as many of the kings, wasn't a king whose heart was after God. And he had false, uh, false piety. I'm not asking the Lord for a sign. That would be a terrible thing to do. False piety. And God was angry. God was miffed. So therefore, God says, I'm paraphrasing again, I won't give you a sign he has, but I'm going to give the people a sign. I'm going to give the people a sign. And the sign um, is this. It wouldn't just it wouldn't only fulfill the promise he made to David that one of his sons, one of his heirs would sit in the kingdom for all eternity. But it would also reveal the one who would fulfill the promise. The detail. It wouldn't be again a son or a record, very vague thing. There would be real detail. And by this detail, people would know the sign. This is a long-term <coughs> prophecy. It's not going to be short term. It's a long term. We know that now because we are the side of that promise. But there was hundreds and hundreds of years to wait. God's sign would reveal who the Messiah is, who the son of David is in the bloodline of David. It would reveal the one who would sit in the throne forever. In our final slide, the sign fulfilled. Before I read Matthew chapter 1, I'll read again Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will choose the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and you'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. There's so much in there of what the sign would be. And everyone knew what the sign was. If they knew Isaiah, they would have known what the sign was. But when God does something through someone you know, it's quite difficult. It's strange and it's unbelievable. Like Mary of Nazareth. 
Mary, who's just down the road, your sister Mary, Mary who was 13 to 16 years of age, betrothed to Joseph, betrothed but not yet married, yet she becomes pregnant. Mary who's pregnant down the road. Mary of Nazareth who's pregnant down the road. But Joseph, being a just man, had every right to divorce her publicly and have her stoned to death. But because he was just, decided to put her away quietly. That just means show compassion, show love, hopefully give her a future, no shame. And then an angel appears to Joseph. And if you would, with me, just for the last time, Turn to Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to end on this. And we know this very well. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the bloodline of David, the angel says, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from sins. All this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. What prophet? Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is the sign. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. This is the one. This is the sign. The Messiah of the house of David. But what convinced Joseph? It was the sign. The angel unpacked what the sign was going to be unpacked Isaiah's prophecy concerning the signs of the Messiah. And so I imagine in my mind's eye, Joseph goes back, he un goes to the synagogue, un unrolls a scroll, finds the passage where Isaiah speaks and sees some of the detail and remembers his dream. And it's at that point he's convinced. This prophecy that God gave his people in the darkest of days, when everything looked to be blotted out, has now come to pass. And these are just two of the hundreds, 300 plus prophetic words concerning Jesus. One fulfilled 65 years after it was given and the other here in Bethlehem, in that stable, the sign that God's promise to David will be fulfilled and his heir 
will sit on his throne, reigning in his kingdom for all eternity. Absolutely love it. God is good. His love endures forever. Shall we pray? And ever and ever and ever. Father, how far would you go to redeem us? You'd go to the cross. You send your son because of your love for us. To crush the power of death and Hades and Satan and sin. To bring redemption to your creation. Father, we fall short. There's nothing we can do. No amount of giving. No amount of good works. But we call in the name of Jesus and we are saved. Thank you that you are with us. That you are for us. You like us. Would you have your way with us and would Jesus reign in our hearts as he reigns in your kingdom and will for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.